All right, so I want to talk about the beauty and wisdom of benevolence. As you know, as part of this house, benevolence is a big, big deal to us. It's not just benevolence, it's this uh, heart of Jesus. You know, when you get close to the heart of Jesus, you find there's a few things that he likes. And one thing he likes is the weak, the broken people that just need help, you know. He's very, very uh, uh, intent on that. And of course, we can see it through his own life and how he came to be broken for us. But beyond that, uh, he continues to deliver, continues to save and help in so many, many different ways. And these low spots in the place of the earth are where he hangs out. Some of his best stuff happens in those places, we found. And, um, and so I want to talk about this. There's not only a wisdom of benevolence, but there's a beauty to it. So there's a beauty side in the sense of, it's a beautiful thing when we help people uh, that aren't doing well. And then it's a wise thing because actually you can't outgive God and he puts it on your head uniquely in so many wonderful ways. I don't know of a better way to even find your own personal needs met than giving out to the weak. I tell you, it's, uh, and you, I'll back it up with all the scriptures, but also just from my experience. I've just never seen anything quite like it. So for the church that has a benevolent heart, it's just incredible blessing on the other side of it. You can never outgive nor outsow God. Have you figured that out yet? And of course, sowing and giving takes something of you, but that's the whole point. But God always gives back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, he said, right? And so, uh, and, in, and when you see people that you admire, you know, like I told you when I met Mother Teresa years ago, I mean, <clears throat> the place that they were in Calcutta was just a, a desperate uh, place, just acres of people laying on the ground, leprosy, you name it, you know, and there she is in the middle of the whole thing. And But when you meet her, you know, and I had a chance to meet her face to face, there's nothing down about her. She was glowing. She was floating. She <laughs> Probably the happiest woman on earth. And uh, it was just remarkable just being around there in the spirit of joy because Jesus likes this stuff. And where Jesus likes stuff, he's, there's joy, right? And I just think that we experience personal joy and also a corporate joy. I think you feel it in our worship. And it doesn't mean that everything's always hunky-dory. It just means that when this is your lifestyle, when this is your way, God puts it back on your own head. There's a, a sense of, of freedom and grace and joy. And because and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But I guarantee you where the Spirit of the Lord is is always in where the weak are, where the weak are living. Around us, in our living room maybe, or, you know... Uh, far in far distant nations. So Jesus and the early church walked in the beauty and wisdom of benevolence. And um, so I, I'm just going to just go through this outline a little bit and some of these verses. Uh, some of these are very, very uh, familiar to you. But uh, Jesus was rich, but for our sake became poor that we might become rich, which is really a wonderful scripture. I want to just start with 2 Corinthians. I'm just going to read through some passages of scripture. Matter of fact, Hopefully, even if I don't deliver it well, these passages of scriptures will be all you need to understand the heart of God throughout all the years of the church and uh, in the early church and from Jesus on, right? So 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verses 7 and 9. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and the love we have, you have, we have kindled in you, all that, which hopefully is in every church, right? See also that you excel in this grace of giving, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. 
And so that sing, sing that uh, picture of Jesus hanging on the cross and the blood that was shed. So I know it could become a piece of art and work and stuff, but think about this. The Son of God became nothing, lost everything, even his own life for you. The one that created the universe. And he didn't just die any old death. He died a hideous death. So he's our example. And he did that because you needed it and I needed it. Otherwise, we would never be able to live with him. And so that's like our marker there. But interestingly enough, that when Jesus ministered, we just see him and how he ministered and who he ministered to is just a, a template uh, uh, for us today, isn't it? Matter of fact, we see the early church and Jesus' life and the, the early church, just how they live their life out. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 11, Paul puts it another way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So here's the mindset. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Wow. And being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So he's our great example of going low to go high, right? I expect to go high sometime. How about you? I'm going to resurrect right out of here. I'm going to blast out of here someday. That's what we have, all of us have the hope of, right? But Jesus' life and his teachings revealed the wisdom of kindness to the weak. I say the wisdom. And that not only is it wise uh, just in this life, but it's wise for eternity. There's just a wisdom. It is how the kingdom works. When we're sensitive to the weak around us, when we minister to them, things work together. The whole kingdom of God is built this way because the whole kingdom of God, its pinnacle is Jesus. And this is the life he lived. He lived in poverty, pretty much. He was born in a humble place. And he died a humble death. Actually, an excruciating death. And all of that points toward a lifestyle that I guess heaven kind of likes that lifestyle, right? Heaven also likes the resurrection. Thank God he resurrected, right? But there's something about the kingdom uh, that God likes. And it has a reason why I, I say the wisdom of benevolence is because living this way has tremendous impact on your life. Thing is, I found you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. When you give, when you minister to the broken in any way, it comes back on your own head. And I've tried to remember that my whole life, and it surely has. I've proved it over and over with my own life, and you can prove it with your life. You will never waste any time, energy, or money uh, by giving to the weak. It always comes back on you. And here's an interesting thing. It only comes back on you in money or monetarily or financially, but it comes back in the things that money cannot buy. There's a lot of things money can't buy. Buy. Did you notice that? We get in need. We get poor in ways with our health, with our relatives, friends, issues, divorces, messy everything, right? So God has this way of helping us. When we give our attention to the weak, he multiplies it back on our head. He's a multiplier. He always does that. Whatever you sow, you reap. So this is not like only the beauty and wisdom of benevolence. It's the opportunity of benevolence. <laughs> Right? And I think it's a big issue here for us. 
right now as a church and for all churches. I think our culture, which is the good part about what's been happening, is they're more on edge, they're more alert, they're more awake to issues like I'm talking about today, to, to the weak. And that's good. And then some have politicized it and made it you know, crazy and all that. But, but for the, this is our business all along. And if nothing else, I think maybe the church is more awakened, more sensitive. Average churches, ordinary believers than they ever have been. The question is, what kind of wisdom can we do this in? What kind of attitude? And, and how can we participate? And one way we chose to do it was just basically, I, after visiting the nation so much in, in my early ministry and spending so much time in the highways and the byways in the world and every kind of slum you could imagine, one of my deepest uh, 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 pains coming back was I, I, you know, not having a, a good way, an easy way for us to do that for the local church. So, you know, I come back to all these tales of the horrid poverty and the leprosy and the sickness and, the, and then God's miracles of raising people from the dead and everything. But I'm thinking to myself, how in the world are we going to do that around here? Well, by God's grace, he answered my prayer and we created this warehouse over there. And that warehouse has plenty of all of that <laughs> right across the way there. Then you don't have to go very far. And so that's where we see people, meet people, and out of it all kinds of other things that we do, and including the financing for helping people, has come out of basically taking in what the world doesn't want and then spending money on people that maybe the world forgot. And uh, that's pretty good. I need to write that down. Anyway, uh, so. But the important part about that is it's given all of us a chance, however you would like, whether it's just bringing some furniture in or some food in or whatever, you can always be benevolent here. But there's great wisdom in this, benevolence. It's not just that, oh, we're like the benevolent people, you know. It's, the, it's this tremendous wisdom. This is like the heart of the gospel. This is how, if you want to know how things work, including some cool stuff like getting healed and seeing people delivered and blind eyes open, then you just have to go right to this space of weakness and live there for a while. Because that's where Jesus lives. And uh, lives, fortunately for us, for when we're weak, and then for all those that are around us. So Jesus' life and teachings reveal the wisdom of kindness of the weak. So let's look at a couple of passages. Here's first a passage that one of my favorite in the whole Bible, but it's the passage describing Jesus and um, his ministry. And Jesus actually quoted this at the very beginning of his ministry, this very passage, because it's about him. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, and it's about you, because when Jesus ascended, the Spirit of the Lord became on us too, right? with the whole intention of doing what I'm about to read. Because the Lord has anointed me, what has he anointed me to do? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Can I just say something to you? If maybe you find yourself in one of these places, you're a brokenhearted person, you're a captive, or you're in darkness. Can I just say to you, uh, and you're maybe feeling you're at the very, very bottom, Right? I'm not a wealthy person that I could do this or that. Whoa, man, you just missed the whole point. I'm giving you the way out. If you're on the bottom, this is the way out. Find somebody else that's brokenhearted, somebody else that's weak and minister to them. Yeah. Become useful. Sow your seed. We say, I don't have anything to see. You, everyone has something to sow. Even just your time, energy, whatever you can do. Being nice to someone. Say hello to somebody. Whatever you can do, even if you're on the bottom. What I'm giving you is not only for those of us who are doing well and, and uh, that we need to give thanksgiving to that, but it's also for you that are weak in a difficult space. Whatever the weakness is, uh, a place of captivity, this is the way out. I'm giving you the way out. This is the Jesus way out. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Aren't, aren't you like the way he does that? But we do that too with other people. That's part of our job. Bestow a crown of beauty, uh, bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a plan of the Lord for the display of his splendor. This is our job description. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. This is our job. This is what we do. The church is at the forefront of all of this and becoming stronger and stronger. We're learning more and more about restoring devastated places. We're learning more and more, and more about renewing, uh, renewing the ruined cities. Turns out some of this will take quite a bit of money. Other times it takes very little money, just time. But we're going to do this. We are doing this. We're rebuilding people's lives, and we're rebuilding the way they live and shape. And, and even recently, I've been so pleased. I, I, I've been anxious about this for a long time. The Lord just told me, just, just learn from me. I'm gentle and humble of heart. So I've been in school the last several years learning how we do this. And now I, I can see now how to do this. I can see the whole issue of housing. I'm beginning to see how to do this. I'm beginning to learn how to do this. And plus God's favor is on us. So he's teaching us how to do this. We're learning how to house people in our own community. We don't have to ship them off anywhere. We're learning how to do that. Slowly but surely we're learning how to do this. You know what? The teacher is more than happy to teach. It's just that you've got to be patient enough and, and encouraged enough and convicted enough to let the Lord teach you. And by the way, you can never outgive God. So here's the thing. When we get involved in these areas, he puts it back on our head. I mean, in every possible way. Things that money can buy and things that money cannot buy. This is just nothing but a treat. This whole beauty and wisdom of benevolence, it's so beautiful because the Lord doesn't leave us out. We sow, and you can never outsow him. He just keeps to give him back over and over and over again, right? How we treat the weak really is how we treat God. We read this in Matthew chapter 25. That's a startling thought, isn't it? Uh, but it's right there in the scriptures, right there in plain view. And it, there's a certain uh, beauty about it and also reasonableness about it. Right? When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him. This is verse uh, 32 now of Matthew 25. And He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And the King will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now we're seeing the beauty of the afterlife. We're seeing the reward. We're seeing what happens later. Right? For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. In our culture, we have this way of just overdoing things. We just think that everything has got to be expert. Everything has got to have this and that. You know, this is simple. You see someone I like begging, give them, a, give them 50 bucks or 10 bucks or whatever. You see someone there that needs a lift or whatever, just do that. We're not talking about, you know... In our everyday life, once you notice one, you start noticing many. Just that when you keep driving by or ignoring or people right in your path and you ignore them, you get hardened somehow, right? <laughs> wow, 
For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, right? <laughs> wow. Well, they're right all around us, right? Or thirsty and give you something to drink. And can I just say something? You don't have to go to Botswana or downtown Los Angeles. Just look around. People are everywhere. And be humble enough, just take your co-worker, buy him lunch, or just something you notice. Because when you start noticing the world, they're just all over the place. It's opportunities. And you don't have to be jump over tall mountains in a single bound. That's what I used to think, you know. Just do little things. Little things. Mother Teresa kept telling me that. She, little things. Because the first thing I said, man, I can't imagine. You don't know where I live. She says, where do you live? I said, Orange County. She said, I know where Orange County is. You're wrong, she said. <laughs> Put a little rebuke there, you're wrong. He says, they're everywhere. People are everywhere. You just have to notice. So I came back, and I didn't believe her at first, honestly. Because Orange County, especially, you know, in the 90s, it's like, you know, it's just Orange County. But man, things have changed. But not only that, people are all around anyway. That's church. Who come to church? Well, sometimes wealthy, sometimes weak, but certainly a lot of weak people come. People come because they're weak. They're in desperation stuff, you know. So what we want to do is make sure that in the church, as a church, we have enough opportunity. One of our proudest things is just having the Thrive Ministries where we can counsel people that are having emotional difficulties and troubles and trials without having to pay $5,000 an hour, right? Just and, and get healing on the inside, too. That's poverty. They're just listening to a person sometimes is all they need. Sometimes, you know, not everybody's like you. Maybe you have your family and you're really busy, but there are a lot of people that are single and lonely and just need someone to talk to and someone to be around. Oh, my. Poverty has so many forms, and it's all Jesus, right? As a matter of fact, sometimes I think God puts peaceful in my place. <laughs> just, I just like planning the whole deal out. I wonder what Mikey's going to do today, you know? What's he going to do today? It's always a challenge. Oh, Lord, oh, what do I do? What do I do? You know, what do I do? You know. <laughs> yes, no, yes, no. Please, please tell me. Make a sign, whatever. Well, he's right there. Why don't you just help a little bit? Okay, fine. You don't have to do much. What do you got in your pocket? Well, I got five bucks. Just give five bucks. Whatever, you know. <laughs> it's not that hard. Just do a little bit. And then you'll start doing a lot. Because the more you sow, you kind of get the rhythm of it, you know. And then you don't carry a guilty thing around all the time. You just you realize you're free. You can do whatever you want. But the reward is so darn good, right? It's so good. That's why everything we do in the warehouse is such a reward. It's not a pain. It's not a pressure. I mean, we've got all kinds of stuff going on, that's for sure. And we've got problems. But it's momentary light affliction, MLA, compared to the joy we get just by seeing people do well, right? And... It'll be in your own private life. It doesn't have to be a warehouse or a thing. Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger? You don't have to go way far away. They're all around you. When do we see a stranger invite you in? Oh, my gosh, you know, our world right now is dying of loneliness. People are dying of loneliness. Yes. Strangers. They feel like a stranger. They don't have any friends. And there are people who have all kinds of friends because they're a certain quality of person and maybe they have certain looks or money or whatever. There's plenty of people who don't have any friends whatsoever. They're lonely. They're, they're, they just, when do we see you as strangers? Strangers are all around you, everywhere. I tell you, our whole culture is full of strangers. 
We can tell by just whenever we open the doors for anything that has some kind of a community or sense of thing about it or belonging or whatever, people respond because a lot of people are lonely and they're strangers. And a lot of people are moving back and forth too. A lot of people, maybe here in this room, I see people I've never seen before. And maybe you just moved into the area. You know, it's hard to be a stranger. It's hard to be new. And it's hard to be a new here too because I don't think our culture is generally that congenial you know, to strangers. It's sort of everybody's doing their own thing. I don't know if you noticed that. I noticed that when I came. And other areas, it's a little bit more open, a little more hospitality, I think. So we have a little problem with strangers. I don't think we do a good job with that. When did we see a stranger? But think about this. When did we see you a stranger? Jesus. That may be Jesus. I mean, he's there wanting you to minister to them, invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you. When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I don't think Orange County historically has done very well with the least of these. But I think we're all learning. We're all in a new space. And I think it's a good space. But just don't think that the space is too spectacular. Lonely, broken people are in your own family. They're right around you, right? They're everywhere. Just have to notice. And notice that, well, when you see one, well, hey, that's not just them. That's Jesus there, right? Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then you will, he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You are cursed in the eternal fire, preferred for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and blah, 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 all that stuff. So we know about the <laughs> Read over that really fast, right? There's plenty of positivity in this passage for you to be positively, powerfully influenced and affected. But it's a serious issue. That's why these other things are in there. I was a stranger. You did not invite me in. I needed clothes. You did not clothe me. It's serious to God. Serious. Serious with a wink. Serious to him, it's his heart. But with a wink at you, when you get involved, you'll find it's far more happy than you could have imagined. Because Jesus is happy there, right? So Jesus' life and the teachings reveal the wisdom of kindness to the weak, right? So I was late reading this story of Zacchaeus. This is B3 in your outline, Luke 19. And uh, it's interesting to me, uh, Zacchaeus, I, when I was in Israel, I, they have this sycamore where he supposedly was, right? And uh, I don't know if he really was or not, but that's, those trees are supposed to last a long time and everything. And so Jesus is walking by, and he's trying to get a better look, and he climbs up there in the tree and stuff. And, um, and so he... Being a tax collector is pretty rejected by everybody, but Jesus says, hey, come down from there. I've got to have dinner in your house, right? Interesting. He's a rich guy, and yet he was pretty isolated and alone, right? I don't know if you've been seeing The Chosen, but Matthew is hilarious, that whole character of Matthew, <laughs> the reject Matthew. This is the reject Zacchaeus, totally rejected, right? <laughs> Nobody liked Zacchaeus, but Jesus invited him in, and everybody shuddered when he did, Right? But here's the interesting thing about this story with Zacchaeus. Not only the fact that Jesus invited himself over to, for dinner to a tax collector, which was just totally uh, the most horrible thing you could imagine in their, their culture, but look what Zacchaeus does. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't say he didn't give him any teaching about anything, about the poor or anything, you know, especially. Right? He just comes and hangs out with him. But Zacchaeus knows instinctively somehow how to respond to this. And that's what I think. There's no words passed on. Now, Zacchaeus, I want you to do good to people. He doesn't say anything. He just has dinner with him. But he realizes how unworthy he is and how accepting Jesus was. And so it hit his heart. Maybe that's the heart button we're looking for. How lost we were. 
and are without the presence of God. How weak we are without God. How weak we were and how weak we are. Sometimes we get really religious and stop thinking about where we were, where we were, where we've been in difficult circumstances. It's amazing how fast our culture runs past our own pain and sorrow. We don't register it properly sometimes. We forget. But this Zacchaeus, there's no preaching here in this little section of scripture on, on, on money or giving things away or being kind to the poor. He instinctively knows this is, a, Jesus did this with me. This must be the way things work in the kingdom. He understood it was at the core. This teaching I'm giving is the beauty and wisdom of benevolence. It's not a side thing. It's not an extra thing. It's not like, you know, something you can get on the side in addition to the main meal. It is the meal. This is the heart of everyone knew. And so Zacchaeus understood. He says, hey, look. Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. He's walking by, not saying a word, he's just walking by being Jesus. And this guy somehow knows this is what the kingdom's about. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. There wasn't a salvation message. There weren't the four spiritual laws. (laughs) This guy understood the kingdom. Salvation's come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So we get all tied up in information, get into our, just right. And Jesus went to eat dinner, and this guy got the whole kingdom. He says, you know, I, I, I get it, I get it, I'm giving this money away. He didn't tell him to do it. There's no record of him saying anything about the poor. He just does it. He knew instinctively, which tells me a lot about the beauty and wisdom of benevolence. It's at the core of everything, not just sort of periphery. It's not just something that we do extra, right? It's part of our whole walk with God. The benevolence of Jesus was carried into the earliest expressions of the church. In other words, what happened to these early believers? How did they translate what Jesus had been teaching them all this time, all these disciples? It's really wild. You just see that there's the power that comes and the supernatural power and the speaking in tongues and the whole thing, you know, comes and uh, there's this great release. But look what happens. Here's how they translate it. In the very earliest pages, we see all the believers were one in heart and mind, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So there's tremendous healing and power, and certainly the gospel. And God's grace was so, po- worked so, po- was so powerfully at work in them all. There were no needy persons among them all. Now, let me see. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Then the next, And then you're thinking, well, he's going to say, okay, they were laying hands on the sick. And, and, and he gets to that, but... What, what does it say next? It was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite uh, from Cyprus, mentioned in particular, Barnabas sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Isn't that interesting? Now there was healing and great manifestations of supernatural power, yes. But I tell you, to have this happen in the heart of those people that quickly. That's a supernatural act right there. And truly this is. So when we preach the word, the spirit comes behind it. And uh, and so the act of us giving things away and being benevolent is an act of the spirit. It's an act of, uh, of God. And we see it in front and center in the early church. And then when Paul begins to um, spread the gospel from one end of the world to the other, and he goes to the Gentiles, and so a lot in the beginning, a lot of the early apostles pretty much stayed in their own lane toward the apostles, I mean toward the Jews, sorry. But, uh, but Paul, from the beginning, he's going out to the Gentiles, right? And look at Galatians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. James, Cephas, and John, James, Peter, and John, 
the ones that we know from the Bible, the apostles, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now notice the next thing. All they asked, the only thing they wanted to make sure happened. So you can see this, the priority in the, our early forefathers. All they asked was that we should, what? Continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Isn't that weird? So that's just, okay, good. You guys go to the Gentiles, but remember the poor. Evidently, this was so ingrained in the early church, in the early uh, uh, DNA of the church, right? Financial gifts from the Gentiles to the church in Jerusalem then began to flow back the other way. So Jerusalem goes out, but then it comes back. It's very interesting. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 is... He's, he's raising this money, and he's raising it for the poor in Jerusalem because there had been a famine and some other political things that had happened. And, uh, but I want you to read these verses because um, Paul is so tickled that the, uh, this Gentile church is getting, beginning to do for the Jews who are the source of the gospel. But he's so excited about it, and you read uh, his excitement, and, and this whole excitement is actually through the whole Bible but especially in the early pages of the New Testament because they had just been with Jesus. And so the result that came from being with Jesus was this real sensitivity to the weak. You know, you see it. The, so evidently what was stood out to them is signs, wonders, miracles, but also this compassion was one of the things that stood out to them and they sought to reproduce as they began to spread the gospel. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. By the way, that is so true. I mean, so true. It's true in your finances, but it's also true in all the things that money can't buy, as we're going to see. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He, he likes it not only when we've gone over and passed uh, the place of you know, it's sort of hard for us into that cheerful place where we know, why would you be cheerful? You'd be cheerful because actually there's a little bit of joy comes from the Holy Spirit when we give this way. But the other thing is, it pays. Yes. It's, it pays financially. Yes. I'm telling you, it pays. So I'm not going to distort it too much. So <laughs> Here it is. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, how, how many things would that be? At all times, how, how many times would that be? <laughs> You're very good. Keep going. <laughs> Having what? All that you need. You will abound in how, how many good works? Every, every. I got you there. Every. <laughs> As is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. That's what you need, and also enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. See, that causes worship before God. They start worshiping God. This service that you perform is not only supporting the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Where are the overflowing, uh, overflowing expressions of God coming from? They're coming from the Jews, because this gift is going to the Jews. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. In the beginning, they're not even sure the Gentiles are supposed to be in the church. But now the Gentiles are giving them back. They go, whoa, this is really good. You're in, guys. You're in. 
and for your generosity and sharing with them with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So this is what happens when you do this. There's this wonderful exchange. Hearts are attached to each other. There's this generosity causes this wonderful relational connecting. And, for, and when you're not in the, matter, in the matter of giving and receiving, and you're not involved with it all the time, that's one thing I wanted to do. I wanted that always to be around our church because the matter of giving and receiving has such side results. Joy, happiness, freedom, grace, things that money could never buy. By God's grace... Hopefully we are a very happy church. And I'm hoping that your family is a very happy family. If you want to be happy in your family, care for the weak. See what happens. See the joy that comes back on your own household and your own family. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And we do this because of this gift that God gave us. And this Jesus humbling himself as a man and giving everything. His own life, right? So I want to, if we look at Roman numeral 2, it says defining wisdom. So there's two nuances of the word wisdom in Scripture. First, we can ask for wisdom, like we see in James 1, 5 to 8. Skill in the affairs of everyday life. I tell you, in our business prayer meetings and all that we do around here, I'm always asking for wisdom. There's always a good way to do things. This includes the idea of good judgment and management. So we can ask for that kind of wisdom. I thank God he can ask for that. Wisdom is the most, one of the most important things anybody could ever ask, right? In respect to divine things also, there's a wisdom. Well, I want to mean this in a little different way. Wisdom, knowledge, insight, deep understanding of the ways of God. So I could just summarize this as the ways of God. The ways of God, right? So how does God think? How does God act? Right? So there's a certain wisdom to that. What, is, what does God think about life? How does he organize all of life, right? So that's what we're talking about, that kind of wisdom. Look at verse, uh, uh, letter B there. For those who find me, wisdom, find life and receive favor from the Lord. So when you find God, you find life and you receive favor. But God is wisdom. So those who find me, find life and, and receive favor from the Lord. Let's just look at Proverbs chapter 8, verses 32 to 36. So we're about to touch something really profound. It's sort of like this. How does God work? How does God think? How, how, do, how does the kingdom move, right? What what motivates God? Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me daily, watching at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me, that is wisdom, they find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death, right? So part of the wisdom of God is his ways. So when you learn to do things God's ways, things really turn out well. Things that have nothing to do with money or resource whatsoever. Kindness, sowing love, you know, treating people right, saying you're sorry, all the things, forgiving people, letting them off the hook. All of these ways, there's a tremendous wisdom in it. There's life in it, right? So it's really, really important. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you start there, right, with the fear of the Lord. But let me read Proverbs chapter 9. Again, uh, verses uh, 10 to 12. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, look at this. So if you have wisdom, and you, you conduct yourself in a wise way, guess what happens? Your days will be many. Wow. If you don't conduct yourself in a place of wisdom, then your days are short. I mean, we're talking about, I think, literal lifespan here. <laughs> is that of interest to anybody? <laughs> 
How long you live? Well, if you're 20, you don't even think about it. But if you're my age, you begin to think a little bit about it, right? From, through wisdom, your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. Oh, years added to my life? I would like, yeah, that's a good deal. I'm really thinking about that. If you're wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. All right? So we see these verses. They're, they're, they're very, very powerful. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So ways in which a lifestyle of benevolence is wise. So we're talking about the ways of the Lord, right? So let's just talk about some of these ways. And what you get from especially this emphasis on benevolence, on helping the weak. And there's just a whole series. I got them all the way from A to K, but some of them are incredibly cool. And so you think, you start looking at these, and you look at them enough, you go, wow, I think I could be wise. I think, I think I'll do some of these things. Because if I do some of these things, look what happens. So how about protection and healing? Would you like that? How many would like protection and healing in your body? And protection, just safety. How about that? Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. There's all kinds of weak. From the, you know, one of the weakest uh, things I see in our culture is loneliness. It's a lot of lonely people. So you that have relationships, being kind to lonely people is one of the best things you do. That's another way of helping the poor. It's not, you know, if you have lots of relationships and lots of family and things around, that's one thing. But there are people that don't. And in our society, increasingly, people are being shattered and disconnected all over the country, all over the world. So some of us that have lots of family around, you know, we don't think as much about this. But, you know, one thing as a church and in your lifestyle, it's, it's so important uh, to think about the weak in different dimensions. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. A lonely person is a weak person. I mean, it doesn't mean they're weak in terms of their constitution or even their Christianity. It just means there's weakness. There's a broken space there. There's pain there. We could say it that way, right? There's pain there. So when we have regard for all forms of brokenness and pain, it's, it's a big deal. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. So if you have regard for the weak, the Lord delivers you in times of trouble. That's a pretty good exchange. Well, how many have any trouble? Anybody have any trouble in your life? Wow, only five or six of you. I'm speaking to the whole wrong crowd here. I guess I better go down the street. Either you're asleep. Wake up, wake up. I'm saying the Lord delivers them in times of trouble. If you have regard for the weak, guess what? When you get in trouble, you can expect amazing deliverance. God will always help you, right? So it's a promise. God will help you, but you know for sure. Because there's a certain confidence that you get walking with God when you're concerned about the weak. When you develop that as a lifestyle, there's a confidence. There's something about your soul that gets steeled. You're, you're not worried about everything all the time. You know, you've been so busy taking care of people, you realize that on the other side of it, my time will come and the Lord will deliver me too. And if you haven't ever made that connection, you should make that connection. For all of you that just spent time, you know, helping people, or maybe it's a, a grandmother that's not doing well, or, a, you know, a child, or whatever it is, that sowing toward the weak counts, and you get on the other side of it, the Lord delivers you when you're in trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They're counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desire of their foes. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed. That's a motive. Talk about a motive for helping the weak. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed. I mean, it's getting really specific now. And restores them on their bed of illness. Wow. So 
It's wise to be benevolent. It's wise to be concerned about weakness all around you. Whatever it is, whether it's loneliness or lack of money or whether it's lack of resource or no home, no place to live, my goodness, we have a horrible epidemic of homelessness, not just in the sense of a person that got turned the wrong way, maybe did some drugs, got some involved, and da, 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 made some bad decisions. There are those, and we're, they're here in our midst. But there's all kinds of, of, of things, um, all kinds of, of, of weakness all around us, right? And, and, and including sickness. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. This is a wise lifestyle you live. This is wisdom. This is a smart. This pays huge dividends. Amen. Just to the point where you don't think you're weak and you become weak. You start thinking about it. Well, let's just do all this before we get weak and then believe God for our miracle. How about that? Because you already know these promises are there. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Proverbs 11, 24 to 25. Wow, isn't that something? He refreshes others will be refreshed himself. So if you spend time trying to encourage other people, God will make sure that you're encouraged and you're down moments. Wow, what a prescription for depression. I think that's part of the healing for a depressed person. Sooner or later, while you're working through all the emotional baggage and the things you have to work with that happen because of terrible experiences or people treating you bad, sooner or later... You have to get to a place where you begin to be a giver, not a taker. This is a really hard thing sometimes for people that have been down and out, maybe homeless for a while. They don't realize that the whole goal is, and the whole way you get healed is, what you sow. It's not just what you receive. I don't need more aid. What I need to do is give more. You know that sounds harsh? So for you that, uh, it's just scriptural. Give and what? It shall be given to you. I, we don't even have that written down here, but you can wear that one out. But look, look at Proverbs 11:24. One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. Now the problem is people think when they're in poverty they have nothing to give, but you always have something to give. Amen. Always. There's always a way to give something to somebody else. A kind word, some of your time, energy, always. It would be a horrible thing if there wasn't anything to give. You watch God. Just say, God, show me what I can give. I am right here. I have no idea. <laughs> I am serious. Every way I can give, show me. And if you just listen, he'll show you. Boy, I'll tell you, he'll start showing you. What about that person over there? What about this? What about that? Once you volunteer over there. One of the most hard things for people that are really in a difficult place and are weak, one of the most difficult things, and I'm just going to turn this on the head a little bit, is they don't know how to give. They forgot. They don't think they have anything to offer. But it's precisely in that formula that they find the way out. So this is for the weakest of us and the strongest of us. The weakest of us need more help from the stronger. But then as you're making, if you want to become the strong, you have to learn how to give to the weak. Because one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Wow. So when I give and refresh, encourage, whatever form it takes, with just an encouraging word, counsel, whatever it is, wow, if I refresh others, I'll be refreshed. See, lots of times we have it around the other way, and I think I'm trying to have been teaching some of the people that are in a weaker space. It's, look, you're, you're weak now, but here's the way to be strong. You know, we'll help you, but look, 
you've got to get to a place where you're generous. Because once you're generous, and even just a little bit, you don't have to be super generous. Just give a little bit. Matter of fact, that's a big thing about generosity. People think, wow, man, they look at all these examples. That's what the world does. Oh, this guy gave 25 million to whatever. This guy gave 1 million to whatever. You know, and we look at that. Well, what do I have? Oh, you are so wrong. Just a little thing. It's a little thing. God looks at the little thing. Just sow that, and God will give you more. And sow that, and sow that. Especially when you don't have much. Look at Proverbs 14. We're just going to start running through Proverbs. There's so much wise advice. Verse 21. It is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Verse 31. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. So can you see like the benefit on the other side of this? (laughs) Church, we don't have to give to the needy. You get to. (laughs) This is not an imposition. This is like the way on, man. This is the way out. You know what? And you may have all the money in the world, but there are certain things God always leaves out. Right? So maybe you need to be wealthy that way. Well, find ways to give away. Maybe even in that very area that you're weak. Maybe you're lonely or maybe there's other things, right? Wonderful passages. I love these passages. They just encourage me every time I read them because you know why they're so practical. They're just so simple, right? There's just no, no, no complication here. And this is the promise of God. And by the way, this word never, ever fails. Never, ever fails. So read the thing top to bottom. It never fails. Whoever's kind to the poor, what? Lends to the Lord. <laughs> I'm so hard, so hard to get a loan these days. I'm just trying to get a loan so bad. Could that actually pay over into how I get a loan from a mortgage company that I would actually be kind to the poor? What? Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> lend to the Lord. Maybe he'll lend back and he'll reward them, it says, for what they've done. You're actually lending to the Lord. You can't outlend God, nor can you ever outgive him. He already outgave you from the outset, but that's not just the static thing. Through Jesus, he's always giving. He's always encouraging. He's always so. You just need to be aware of it. What God does, and, and be thankful as well. It's really, really important. Here's something. How about answer prayer? Who's got some prayers that they need answered? Anybody have an unanswered prayer? <laughs> Boy, I ran across this one the other day. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Oh. I cry out all the time. I'm a big fat baby. I'm always crying out for stuff. Wow. Well, I'm definitely going to shut my ears to the cry of the poor. Because here's the promise there. We'll also cry out and not be answered. If I shut my ears, that's, that's going to be... Better get that one out of the way. What an amazing thing. You ever seen that one before? I ran across that the other day. Like, Whoa. Wow. Because I really like to pray. I like to pray a lot. I like to pray for me a lot. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> and my family, right? Anybody else out there? Proverbs 22.9. Here's another one. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food. With the, four, with the poor. That's a pretty obvious one, right? Look at this one. Proverbs 22, verses 22, 23. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor. Do not crush the needy in court. Oh, boy. For the Lord will take up their case and he will exact life for life. Man, don't want to be crushing people in court. <laughs> and there's a lot of that going on, right? For the Lord will take up their case. He'll take up your case, right? Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them will receive many curses. Speaking up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. 
Um, Proverbs 31, as we get down to the end of this. Look at all these passages. They're all there for the reading and appropriating and grabbing for your own life. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. That's a big one. How about the unborn? Hmm. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And this last passage I'm going to share, which is one of my favorites of all. It's just an amazing promise, a beautiful thing. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 5 to 12. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? No, fasting is when you don't eat and you humble yourself before the Lord uh, and uh, you're in a weak place asking for God's favor. So he says, well... I'm well aware of that kind of fasting. But he says, is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloths? Is that what you call a fast a day acceptable to the Lord? How about this kind of fasting? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. And there's all kinds of yokes to break. There's poverty yokes. There's people who are depressed and discouraged. There's those kind of yokes. Family yokes, family situations that just does not not seem to get better. Bad relationships, bad marriages. Oh, every kind of yoke. There's every. The devil is really good at putting yokes on people. Just heavy burdens, right? But isn't this not the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke? I like that. But then he goes. Switches gears. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then, and here again is the wisdom we are talking about earlier, your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. I'm conscious I've been reading these verses. There's a lot of verses on healing here with regard to this whole discussion. Then your righteousness will go before you I mean, usually when we talk about healing, get back to healing. You know, we, we have these amazing things, being sensitive to the Spirit, we're going to pray for you, so on and so forth. But could I just recommend to you that if you're sick, this is something I do with my own life and in my own family and for my own family. If you're sick, pray for other people. Why don't you pray for other people? Make a habit of it. One of the greatest joys of my life right now is making these little covenants I do with people, just informal things where I'm, I'm going to pray for them and check up on them and just do it all the time. But I found I get this return. And one of the first returns of it is when you make a covenant and you're praying for people that are sick, maybe six months, eight months, or in a condition or whatever, that there's a certain joy that comes on your head because the person knows on the other end that you're actually interested in them. That's right. So that's part of the whole thing. Wow, you would call me up and pray for me and... or Check up on me, right? And there's a joy that comes back. But look what it says. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Let me read back, go back here again. 58. Is this not the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves. It's not just a religious thing. Isn't this the kind? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then, wow, turn away from your own flesh and blood. Hmm. 
Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, well, that's another one. And if you spend yourselves... By the way, be careful about your pointy fingers these days. It's everywhere. There's pointy fingers everywhere. <laughs> I don't care what party you're a part of. Be careful you don't let it get too deep in you. Amen. Pointy fingers aren't good. Right? Just be careful in your wisdom. Just use wisdom about it. I think God wants us to know truth and fight for truth. But, boy, there's a lot of malicious talk and pointing fingers. And I just like, don't like the whole spirit of it, right? Because it reminds me of oppression. So I've got to be careful. And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, what happens then? Then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. I guess maybe you could even do this even if you're hungry or poor or weak. Maybe if you're in those places, maybe this is especially what you should do. Spend yourselves on behalf of other people. Because sometimes I've met the homeless and they're some of the most selfish people I've ever met. It's always about them. Everything's about them. And then people reinforce it, make it everything about them. Everything's about me. Everything's about how you're treating me. Everything's about this, right? But see, they have to make a change somewhere. And so part of it is we have to help them and then help them go to this place. Why don't you start spinning yourself on somebody else's behalf? Why don't you start satisfying the needs of the oppressed? Guess what will happen then? Your light's going to shine even brighter. It'll rise in the darkness. Your night will become like noonday. That's pretty clear, isn't it? <laughs> Doesn't get much clearer than that. My night's like noonday. So actually, part of the thing is when we're weak, part of our trail is we, we actually sow into other people. We learn to be givers, not just takers. Amen. And here, think of it as you that are out there giving to the weak, if they're like that, that's just a pattern they develop. So don't dislike them or stop giving to them because they're like that. They're sort of like children. They just haven't learned that actually the real way out is depends on them, not you. But in the meantime, they have some needs that need to be there. So don't be too religious with them. But actually, if you can get them to the place where they realize that the key to them getting out of the place of in is them, not me, not you, not around, it's them. But the problem is we get all religious about that. You know, we say, yeah, da, 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 da. yeah, but you know what? Right now they need help, right? So it's a little balanced thing there. But the key thing eventually is we give, 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 give. But hopefully by God's grace they'll say, oh my gosh, I'm part of the solution. If, if, if I will sow toward other people, guess what? My light will rise in the darkness. My night will become like noonday. My Lord will guide me always. He will satisfy my needs in a sun-scorched land. He'll strengthen my frame. I'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And then this part is the part I like. And this is what I want to be for our church, okay? And I'm going to close on this. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. That's what I want to do. I want to repair the broken walls. I want to raise up the age-old foundations. I want to repair the broken walls. I want to rebuild the ancient ruins. I want to be the city on a hill. I want to see God's kingdom come. And it's amazing. These promises are all pointing toward God's more than willing to do that. We just need to be interested in the beauty and the wisdom of benevolence. Amen. Why we all stand? So I'm going to pray for us. And um,
So I'm going to, uh, I don't think I'm going to do worship. I think we'll just close on this, okay? But I want to close on this prayer. I'm going to pray for you and for me, okay? And I want you to pray along with me if, if you uh, mean it, okay? And by the way, uh, if you'd like to stick around, we're going to baptize a few people and uh, haven't done that in a while. So if you want to stay, that'd be great and uh, be very simple. But I'm just going to pray right now, okay? And I think when I pray, I can feel the atmosphere. I feel, uh, I just feel like you guys are receiving this so incredibly well. And uh, it's sort of a selfish thing, actually. (laughs) Living this lifestyle is wise for you, right? (laughs) I mean, it's about the best thing you can do for yourself, your family, your household, your church, your country, your nation, whatever it is, right? It's really the upside-down kingdom, isn't it? It just doesn't seem like that would be the case. But what we sow, we reap. And the Bible's got all these ingenious ways to sow. So, Lord, I'm asking you in Jesus' name. I know that as I was speaking, I was touching a lot of people, people that maybe feel pretty weak right now, pretty alone, and pretty broken. So they're just going to need a little extra help to find your wisdom. And some of us that are going our merry way, and we don't really even think about these things, or maybe thought about them once or twice, but it's too hard for us. We can't think of anything to do. And we want to do something spectacular. But Lord, I just pray you'd show people just do little things. Just be kind to people around you. Just do little things. And God will give you bigger things. If you want. He didn't force anybody to do anything. And for you that maybe are homeless today, maybe in a weak space, I'm going to ask God to give you iron faith, to give you a tenacity to keep sowing, to be generous to other people, and to believe God that he's going to get you out of this mess. The promises are all there, the promises that I read. And I just thank you, Lord, that your light will come. Light will be breaking over them. I pray light would break over all of us. I pray you'd make us your city on a hill, your benevolent city, your kind-hearted city. Ah, and your happy city. Because this is a happy people that learn how to live like this. The joy of the Lord becomes our strength. Lord, I want to be happy. And I just thank you. I'm with a bunch of other people that want to be happy too. So, Lord, as we leave today and we go out in the world... I pray you'd start showing us little ways that we could be helpful. And I pray they'd take this sheet that I have, I, this sermon that I have right here on this piece of paper. If they don't have one, they get one in the back. And I pray they'd read it and see all the advantages yeah. of taking care of weak people, all the advantages of being strong for others, all the advantages of giving and sowing, and just apply it to their life. I pray you take my words, and they just be like a ringing in their ears. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah. <laughs> and I pray also, here's another thing. I pray the joy of all this would overtake you because I am telling you there is so much joy and fun in this. This is not like, oh man, I don't even like trust the person, Lord, I'm talking still to you. Uh, you know, I don't trust very many people that like are really sad about their, their like benevolence, like they're wearing it too much. I just, the happy people are the ones that just do this freely. And so make me happy, make us all happy. And if we get too full of ourselves, just help us to see the error of that. This is a happy lifestyle. This is the joy of the Lord. This is your strength. This is being God's people. This is the the, the light. This is where light is. This is the wisdom of the Lord. So, Lord, I just pray this message. You just sow it into all of our hearts, wherever we live, wherever we are. And, Lord, I pray we'd be the happiest people on earth. There's this place called Disneyland. It used to be the happiest place on the earth. But now, Lord, your church is going to be the happiest place on earth. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Okay, you baptizees, come on up here.